Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall. I've got my co-host Bruce Wainer with me and we almost might have like a doppelganger going on here. I'm looking and you guys are looking very similar to each other. So Bruce is on the top of the screen. He's always with me on the show with the Money Advantage behind him and E3. Bruce, thank you for joining me today. Good or good afternoon, I guess it is. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's, 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 this is going to be a, an unusual show because it's actually an entertaining CPA. <laughs> yes. you, don't, you don't find those in the wild very often. <laughs> Not in the wild. So, Bob Wheeler, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here. Hello, Rachel and Bruce. <laughs> awesome. Well, Bob, we met you when we had the pleasure of being guests on your show, um, which is the Money You Should Ask podcast, so just a little quick plug there. And we found out that it was very fun to be on the show with somebody who was funny. And uh, so that was really excellent. So we're going to expect a lot of stand-up comedy today from you. Okay. Uh-oh. No pressure. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so thank you so much for um, being with us today. Now, Bob does a lot. We're going to be talking today about the idea of the money nerve or the feelings and emotions that we have around money and how to have healthy emotions around money so that you can really be in control of your financial situation. So that is a piece of what he does. He also has a book called The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. He's also, as Bruce mentioned, um, an entertaining CPA. You've done stand-up comedy. You've done accounting. um, You've basically done a lot of things. And you've also are a, you teach a seminar that is on core energetics and radical aliveness. You're a radical aliveness practitioner, which just those words are awesome. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. And (laughs) we're very excited to share your awesomeness today. So tell us the quick path, but take us on a journey. How did you get into this space in the first place? Yeah, well, um, kicking and screaming. Uh, So I actually prepared to go to law school. Uh, I was going to be a lawyer since I was probably nine. Uh, so I took accounting just to uh, help my grade point average uh, in college, like everybody, right? And so what happened was I got to know some of the lawyers and stuff, and I thought, mm, I don't really like them. Uh, I think I'll, I'll think I'll do accounting. It seems to be pretty easy. And so um, that's you know basically what ha- happened for me was um, uh, you know I had all the credentials to sit for the CPA exam, so. Uh, basically, it was something that came easy for me. Uh, I started doing accounting, working in the back office, hoping I'd never have to talk to people because I was more comfortable with numbers. And that didn't work out so well either because they kept saying, no, you have to go talk to the, to the clients because you understand these things that are going on. Uh, so basically, I, did, I worked for an accounting firm, realized I was never going to be a partner there, uh, started my own firm and built that up. We've got over a thousand clients and we work with entrepreneurs, uh, all kinds of creative folks, small businesses. And I also then started doing stand-up comedy, obviously to pay the bills. And uh, (laughs) so I then got called to be the CFO of the comedy store. Mitzi Shore had found out through a friend of mine that I was a CPA. The comedy store was in some financial bad situations. They owed the IRS about a hundred thousand back taxes. 
uh, I came in and being a CPA, I was able to tell the banks and the IRS, hey, we got it under control. I'm a CPA. It's all good. We've got plans and we've got procedures. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll give you some time. So, uh, you know, I've been with the store for a long time. I love the comedy store and uh, love comedy. And then, I, you, you know, one of the things that happened was with my clients, with my creative friends, everybody seemed to have these issues around money. My clients, I would give them great sound practical advice. They'd go out and do the exact opposite. Didn't make any sense. At the same time, I was a CPA and I was doing terribly financially. I was making all kinds of bad mistakes. And people that were in lesser positions, so to speak, than me were making much better financial choices. And so I had to do my own work and start looking at why am I self-sabotaging and what are what are the reasons that are they're going on emotionally for me? Mm. Uh, my clients st- started turning into therapy sessions instead of tax appointments. And so it all started to become really clear to me that we're all working on these unconscious emotional money beliefs uh, and money blocks that we've been carrying in, since we were pr- probably five, six years old. And mm-hmm. we have to unpack that for many of us to go forward uh, so we can get over this piece of, are we worthy? Do we deserve it? Um, everybody but me deserves success. And, and so really that's what got me on this path of exploring was to be able to better help my clients, better help myself, and, and really just help remove the stigma of shame of not knowing about financial literacy and letting people know that they were not alone in this financial journey and feeling the struggle. Well, Bob, I think that's just really, really interesting. And I, I would love for you to comment on this one idea. I think sometimes we have this <clears throat> external view of money that if they, they, meaning another person, has the house, they have the vacations, they have the car, they have the stuff that they must be fine. And if they have the job with the income, and we all aspire to say, well, that must be the answer. And we find out that it's not, or that at every income level, there's issues. Can you talk about that for a minute? And specifically, can you talk about what it can mean when you have the high income, but you still have this issue with the way you think about money and what problems that can create in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. When we see other people with success, we're actually just seeing a snapshot. We don't know what happened 10 minutes ago. We don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. They may be 10 minutes away from filing bankruptcy, right? And we're saying, oh my God, I want to be just like them. And so social media and and our our culture really cultivate this thing of you got to be successful. You are your assets. You are your accomplishments. And so Mm -hmm. we're all trying to get there really quick, or many of us, I was, I've got to run this hamster wheel so I can like check all the boxes. And I think what happens is we don't stop and take a look and say, wait a minute, that person with that jet and that fancy mansion also has incredible debt potentially, uh, or they may have inherited it and they feel incredibly shameful that they are guilty that they've taken on all these assets that they don't deserve, right? There's all kinds of stories that we're all taking on. And so, but we see that and we say, gosh, I want that. But if we actually do the research, get to know their story, we might actually say, I'm actually in a much better, pay, much better place. And I think I'll stay right where I am. And, and it's, it's hard because we see other people you know, traveling to Paris or, you know, all the good stuff. Nobody's flashing up on Facebook. Here's my latest bankruptcy. Here's my credit card debt. Here's my biggest failure. Like we're not showing any of that, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trying to keep our secrets hidden uh, so that we can, you know, position ourselves in a very positive light. 
Mm-hmm. So, Bob, what's interest? What I find interesting is, you know, people say, "Well, um, you got to define define what your success is," and I think that's kind of what you're saying. But then, you know, part of me sometimes says, "Why do you even have to define it?" You know, because why don't you just live the life the, that you want to live at the particular time? Um, golfers and athletes always talk about staying in the moment, you know, um, and it's kind of like that with money too. But the reason I think we don't stay in the moment is because we are chasing something. And unfortunately, I think most of the time it's retirement. <clears throat> and when you're chasing retirement, then that's when you're saying, okay, at this age, I need to be in a position where I don't have to work anymore. And that is why people are, are constant in constant angst uh, judging themselves to other people. It's like, well, I'm not even near there. I had a person the other day that was interviewed, uh, called in the money advantage and they were, it was very clear very quickly that they were interviewing me. And they said, you know, why should I take advice from you? Because I don't even think your net worth is as great as mine. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not sure how you know what my net worth is. And frankly, I don't even, I don't even think net worth is the measuring stick. I think cash flow is the measuring stick now, but that's my opinion, you know, so you can have a lot of cash flow coming in without a lot of net worth, or you can have a lot of net worth with no cash flow. I can, I'm from uh, rural Missouri. I can show you a lot of farmers that have $10 million of farmland, great net worth, and they don't have any cash flow. So, so what, what do you think about, you know, that perspective? Yeah, well, you know, I think that you're right, that everybody's trying to get to the finish line. The thing is, I don't want to get to the finish line. That's my last breath. I want to have as much fun on the way to the finish line. Like for me, that's where life exists, is on the way to the finish line. And I think with athletes and these folks that can be in the moment, they're conscious about that. And I think most of us are unconsciously thinking, I got to get there. I got to do this. I got to hit my mark. And so we're so unconsciously focused on trying to get there instead of actually realize we're here and enjoy the journey while we're here. And because so many people are trying to, when I get to retirement, I'll travel. Well, you might not be able to because you might be too old or your health may not let you do it. Uh, Learning to enjoy the moment right now, learning to be in that moment, be able to travel now, be able to be grateful for what you have. And I think for me, success is really a measure of how grateful and appreciative am I for the stuff that I have in this moment versus what I don't have. I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I got to get further along. If we, if we, if we could just slow down and look around and go, oh my gosh, look at my amazing family. Look at the, the job that I have. Or if I don't like the job, look at the opportunities that I have to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, That's- as long as, Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Go ahead. Sure. You said for me. For me, as long as I wake up every morning and I'm still breathing, Mm -hmm. that's an opportunity to make things better. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yesterday sucked, but today I'm alive. I can still make new choices. And, And so for me, it's really about the ability to look around and just say, wow, I'm so grateful I have running water. Mm hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's so interesting because there's, there's multiple sides of this. One is that gratitude really does fuel you to be able to not only feel good, but to have a better perspective and to enjoy what you have more. And then you create better things because you're in gratitude. And so there's that side. We've had our friend, Kevin Clayson, he wrote a book called flip the gratitude switch. 
Um, he's been on the show and he talked about that difference of it's like turning the light on in a room. It's completely different for our perspective when we're in gratitude. And we've heard every single successful person that I've ever interviewed that I've ever spoken to in real life. It's all, it really does come down to gratitude about what you do have. And this ties into abundance, which is something that we talk about and believe, but probably not as often as you do. So I'd love to have a a little side conversation about abundance for a second, because what I think can be the, the misnomer is that, well, abundance means I don't worry about anything financially. And I have multi-millions and that's that's my definition of abundance. But really, I think abundance really has to do with your perspective of recognizing that you have all the money that you need, you can create everything that you want, and that money is not finite. It is not this limit and lack and that if I take or if I become successful that I'm taking away from someone else. Instead, as I expand and as I grow, that I'm contributing to the advancement of other people. So can you just talk about what does abundance mean to you and where does that fit in this paradigm of having healthy money concept? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I agree. It's a mindset. Abundance is realizing how much we do have. We are in the US, we take a lot for granted, and which is why I really am appreciative of all the travels that I've had. I travel to a lot of developing countries and I see places where they're just grateful to have a bucket of water to wash once a week, right? Mm. Uh, they don't have electricity. So when you know, when I was in Africa, I'm throwing away bottles left and right. Oh, here's this. They're taking them out of the trash and recycling. Um, I worked at a rhino sanctuary a couple of years ago and they were recycling the feed bags, right? And then they mm. were sewing them and doing, they make use of everything. They see abundance everywhere, right? They look at that and that and, and they see all the possibility. And we're looking at it going, eh, it's not enough. It's that. And, and so we're a little spoiled, I think, um, in that mm-hmm. respect. To me, being able to see all of these things as actually gifts instead of, well, yeah, of course I should have running water. Yeah, of course I should have a roof over my head. Of course I should have the newest iPhone or whatever that is. Uh, To me, it's about sitting back and just looking around and saying, I'm abundant in relationship. I'm abundant in my experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm abundant in my my travel Uh, and, and things that are important to me. For so many people... It's all about it. You know, I got to get to $5 million or I got to get to $2 million and not about, I want to have rich relationships. I want to have great memories. I want to have, I want to be of service. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think it's so important. We figure out how we want to show up in the world and what we want our impact to be, um, what we want our footprint to be. Um, And I think most of us are embarrassed to say like, I want to make a difference. I want to show up in the world. I want to be seen. I want to have impact. I want to matter you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want to belong. And I think so many people are, it's embarrassing to say that, um, to actually say, these are the things that I want to do. This is how I want to show up in the world. And I say, that's what we all need to be doing is shouting it, you know, here's how I want to show up. And then looking yes. at the choices that I do and make sure that I'm in integrity and, and the things that I do are in alignment with what I say that I want. That's you know, so I, good. I try to, <clears throat> I think the most difficult thing is, is a lot of people a lot of people believe what you're saying, but they can't change their mindset to, to live what, the, what they believe. Right. And, and um, I think it takes a lot of work. And, and you, in your book or someplace, you talk about everything we know about money is you know, probably ingrained in this by the age of five. Yeah. And so people you know, like our, our age, that might be 50 years of carrying around the same stuff. And so they think, 
all they have to do is, you know, say, okay, a couple of gratitude things. Okay. Now I've changed my mindset. You know, right. it's like, it's like saying, okay, I'm a hundred pounds over. I'm not, I'm going to eat one piece of lettuce today and I'm going to lose 10 pounds. <laughs> right. You got, you got all that junk for 50 years. Um, I've actually, I could give and continue to work on myself and a new guy that I just stumbled upon, upon I'm going to give him a little plug. His name's Rob Dial. And one of the things that really radiated with me with, with Rob is he tells people that you're never going to get there, you know, and you, and you, and you need to accept that it's, but it's about constantly working on it. The problem is, as I found with some of my own friends is, you know, they are so, uh, kind of check off the box people. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I've done it now. I've got an abundance mindset and they go and they go out and live, but they don't live the abundant life life. They just want to say they do. Yeah. So is, is that, can people get a lot of this out of your book, uh, navigating the emotions of money? And what do you think one chapter that people would really like to, uh, to read to, to kind of change the mindset of, of themselves? Yeah, I absolutely, um, think that the book is helpful in that way. And I definitely think that people have to be do, willing to do the work. When I sit down with people one-on-one, -on -one, when I do workshops, I say to people, are you willing to feel uncomfortable? Are you willing to do the work? And sometimes I'll have people say no. And I'll say, well, we're done. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, 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 like, no, we're not, we're not just going to like go through the motions. It's like when I, if I'm saying my mantras or if I'm out saying my gratitude, like I'm feeling it. Like I'm, and that's sort of the core energetics is I want to feel it in my body. I want to feel that gratitude. I want it vibrating through me that I can just like know that I'm alive, not just like, oh, I want a Mercedes. I want a Mercedes. I want a Mercedes is going to show up under my pillow. No, <laughs> I'm, it's not, not going to happen. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, that spiritual bypass. Oh, I'm just going to just, I'm going to just mantra for it. And it's going to show up. It's not, you got to still do the work. You got to show up. You got to be proactive. Um, it doesn't just come to you. And so for me in the book, I think the really important chapters, the first couple chapters are talking about, um, you know, that we are, we have a GPS that we've programmed. And if we're not proactively monitoring that GPS, we could have typed in, you know, uh, Hollywood, Florida, instead of how to, instead of Hollywood, California. And if we're not paying attention, we end up in the wrong place. We're not, we, you can't just plug it in and go, okay, take me there. No, you still have to participate. Wait, nope. There's, there's an accident. I got a, got a detour here. I got to make adjustments. We have to constantly make adjustments. And the other piece is, is getting really conscious of what we say. You were just saying, Bruce, that like some of your friends say, oh, I can't change my mindset. They choose not to change their mindset, right? It's a choice. It's an absolute choice. And once we can start to say, oh, okay, there are possibilities. All right. It's not going to happen with the one piece of lettuce, Right. Okay, maybe 50, 50 pieces of lettuce off of 50 pieces of you know, cabbage and lettuce, maybe we'll start to see a dent. But if we look at it as I got to get from A to Z instead of A to B, we're never going to make it. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And yeah. so for me, A to B is the digestible stuff. And I've <laughs> used this when I, when I ran a marathon in Greece, my first marathon, I didn't look at it like I was running. 26.1 miles, you know, it's in kilometers. So I just ran a kilometer and then I ran another kilometer and then I ran another kilometer. Um, when I was in Nepal, the group of people I brought with me, we hiked the first day and they all went, wow, this is overwhelming. We're done. We're not hiking for, for 14 days. 
So I just said, uh, I just spent a lot of money. I'm, I'm, I'm hiking because <laughs> I'm frugal. <laughs> and uh, so I got them to negotiate and agree to, well, let's just hike for an hour. And at the end of the hour, let's decide if we want to hike another hour. And we did that so that by the third day, we were negotiating two-hour hikes. And so by the fifth or sixth day, people are like, all right, we're in. But instead of just looking and going, oh, my God, we got to get to the base camp of Mount Everest, it was just like, no, we just have to get to that little hill. Much easier. Yeah, yeah. I, think you'll, I think you'll appreciate this, especially from a comedic point of view. Um, I've always been a pretty optimistic person on the outside, not always on the inside, but I think you can fool yourself. Yeah. It's kind of like the mantra. And so um, I had this really good friend who was Mr. Pessimistic. Of course, you know, they always say they're realistic, right? Um, <laughs> sure. And so then finally, finally, he, uh, he, he went away from the summer. This was when I was a teacher. And when we came back, he said, you know, I tried that optimistic viewpoint all summer and I knew it wasn't going to work and it didn't. And, and that's, and that's what I think when people, when they try something, they just try it for a short period of time and they think it's going to last a lifetime. And, um, and maybe it's, that's because of our microwave society nowadays. People don't work on things very long. Yeah. And also I think people like to be right. Mm -hmm. So I ask people, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in relationship? Right. So couples will come in. Is my wife said this, my husband said this, are they right or wrong? I said, well, are you guys on opposing teams? Or do you want to work together in a relationship? Like, mm. but we love to be right. I knew it wouldn't work. See, I put in the time, but I knew because I'm right. And I think that's where we, we, we get in this right mindset where I've got to be right instead of I want a better life. Mm -hmm. eh, it's not going to work for me. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think everyone does want a better life. I mean, just even coming back to that, wanting to matter and make a difference and create an impact and have a footprint and leave a legacy. I mean, honestly, I'm writing a book right now. So those are all super, super top of mind to me. And what's interesting is I know that it resonates with so many people. I remember this was several years ago. Brendan Burchard was just kind of coming on the scene. Well, at least in my world, I, I don't know, maybe he was on the scene before that, but he was talking about, we all want to live, love and matter. And that message resonates with so many people because I think at our core, the core of our being, we really do want that. And now you're saying, well, if we want those things, we're going to have to do the work. We're going to have to give up being right. And we're going to have to make sure we're programmed correctly and monitoring along the way and make adjustments. So this is fascinating because I think we all do have that microwave society mindset. We all say, I mean, it's easy for me, a big picture person to say, I want to go from here to here. It's very fun to be thinking of new ideas. Uh, right. We just were talking to Mike McCallowitz this morning. It's energizing. It, it makes us feel good to be having the new idea or starting something. We're thinking about that end process or, you know, the Mercedes under the pillow that you referred to earlier. But if we really do want to create a good life, we have to really dig in, do the work, focus on the small picture details. So let's go ahead and um, let's jump over into what do you, what is a money nerve? You talk about this and it's in your book. What is that? Yeah. So, I mean, the positive side is when you win a lottery ticket, oh my God, you know, we get so excited or you get a bonus that you were, it was double what you thought it was, or, you know, some newfound money and you get super excited. Or when you find that $20 bill in a pair of jeans that you uh, didn't know you had, you go, oh, I just found 20 bucks or you find a dollar on the street, you euphorically feel it, right? It's like, ah, oh, that feels so good. 
Consequently, you know, you overdraft your bank account. You get declined for with a credit card at a, at a store, and you know your face goes red, and the shame sinks in. And you people get ulcers over financial stuff. People have health issues over finances. That's because it's in the body. And so the money nerve, I called it the money nerve, is because it is visceral. It's it's in us. It's in our bodies. And to not acknowledge that and to realize, because even the the wealthiest people get nervous or have doubts or think they're undeserving or think that they're imposters. We all have these issues at some point. And some people are more conscious and manage them. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when we're conscious, it doesn't always uh, make it that we're perfectly, we never have those issues again. I'm in the middle of um, escrow on a, on a, on a new purchase on a house. And I was, I was, I work with this, I have a group called money and vision and I was sharing with them. I knew that I was moving the money out of uh, my bank account into escrow, but when that large amount of money went out of my bank account, I went, oh my God, oh yeah, no, no, I'm buying a house, right? <laughs> like, I'm, it's actually a good thing, but I had this momentary, like, they just took all this money out of my bank account. Well, yes, yeah, that was the whole point. I knew that I had the money to buy the house, but it still freaked me out for just like a couple minutes. And then I was like, yeah, that's, you made this choice, right? We all have these things where it still creeps in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're highlighting that money and logic or the emotion and the logic are not always aligned. And I think we can yeah. have the emotions go out of control where the logic might say, this is okay, or or vice versa. And I think right. sometimes it's realizing that maybe we do need to align that better. And I have another question, but Bruce, you go ahead. I, I don't want to well, take I think. Well, I think Bob hit on this earlier and, and it's very true. It doesn't make any difference if you have millions of dollars or $5, you have money issues. Because, uh, you know, I've, I have a lot of people that I can't, that have a lot of money and I can't get them to enjoy their money. Mm. And, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, I try to, I try to give them permission to enjoy their money. Yeah. And then I sit back and I think, well, one of the reasons they have a lot of money is because they don't give themselves permission to spend a lot of money. Right. And then, and then you get, you get on the other end of the spectrum. There's, there are people that are, I got, we have one client here at E3 that, you know, she just, she just keeps draining her retirement account to give to her kids and that's not helping anything. And that's going to cause them to have some issues, Um, but she's going to not have any money and she's already stressing about it, but she's also stressing about letting her kids flounder. I mean, we all have issues with money and that's what I think the, the main message I think you're trying to get out is we all have issues with money. But we all can also work on those issues with money. And, and it's not about, you know, the end result. It's about getting there and getting there in the, not in the fastest way, but in the probably what I would say that in the happiest way or the, or the way that does you the best. Absolutely. And a little consciousness and intention go a long way. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so fascinating. I think um, I'm thinking back to some work that we've done previously and some really, really focused work on what abundance is. And this kind of almost, I envision it like this bell curve. If, if abundance versus scarcity is this abundance is here, scarcity is down here. Then on either end of the spectrum on the two sides, I can have this super spender mindset, or I can have this super saver mindset. The super saver is let me hoard everything. Let me not enjoy anything because I'm afraid of money running out. And the super spender is let me spend absolutely everything because I'm scared of running out of life. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and I haven't actually enjoyed my money. And so, but both of them are in fear, right. which 
I think we all do have that. I mean, Bruce, that's what you're saying. There's like a spectrum here. And I think the only way to really balance that is to be in the middle and focusing on abundance. But I think we all can swerve off the path on either side. And and I was going to ask you this question. When you're talking to people about their money beliefs, how often does their intrinsic wiring, their personality come into play? Because I can see just focusing on say Enneagram, for instance, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm the achiever. So I love to achieve. I love to check off the boxes. And it's part of my almost hard wiring where I have to remind myself, I'm still valuable in the process. I'm, it's not just that I create the value when it's done. And yet then I see other people, maybe a six where their safety and security is a really big priority. My husband would be in that category. So when you look at differences in personality, how does that play into fixing this money nerve and moving forward when maybe it might not look the same from person to person. Yeah. Well, I think for everybody, regardless where they are on the Enneagram or uh, just their personality types is to be able to slow down, Mm. right. To be able to slow down. And that's why I talk about consciousness of being able to say, Oh, Oh, here's my, here's my belief pattern coming in. I've got to achieve. I'm only successful if I get the achievement, not on the way to the achievement. Uh, so for me, it's really about slowing down. And the big question I ask people these days is, um, is that a belief or is it the truth? People say, oh, this will never happen for me. Is that true or is that a belief? Because a lot of times, most of the time, what we're spouting as truth is actually a belief. No, no, no. My mom and dad told me this. I remember when I was four and I know that to be true right? Just like a computer that needs a software update, uh, our, our programming from childhood definitely needs an update, Amen. Um, <laughs> right? We're not going to be, um, I was on somebody's, sh- I don't think it was you were talking about, we were talking about, uh, you don't hand your 401k over to a four-year-old and ask them, how are we doing on the investments, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We just don't do that. Uh, but that's what most of us are doing is we're running around with our four-year-old going, oh my God, oh my God, or running in fear. If we can slow down and be intentional, regardless of whether we're the achiever, whether we're the saver, is can we stop and say, wait a minute, um, do I have to save that much because there's no, nothing left for anybody? Or do I have to spend that much because I got to make sure that I live? Wait, uh, do I need to be in fear is mm-hmm. maybe the question. Yeah. Um, and then slow down and say, ah, you know what? Things are pretty good. I've, I've got money in the bank. Uh, I've got food in the refrigerator. For me, I like to have three to six months worth of food stocked up because I still have a little bit of that scarcity mindset, even though I look around me and go, this is so crazy, Bob. You've got money in this bank account. You've got investments here. You've got property. Life is not bad, but Mm -hmm. still it creeps up because that's a childhood thing where I grew up in a family, a big family with not a lot of money. And so, oh, it could all go away one day. I grew up Mm -hmm. without a safety net. And so I don't have like, oh, I'm going to inherit millions of dollars. No, I had to create my own safety net. So yes. that, that's a fear that I'm aware of. And sometimes it creeps in and I tell it, thank you, shut up and go sit in the corner. Um, Cause it may not leave, but I can put it to the back. That's exactly. really, that's self-awareness. That really is. That's recognizing, Hey, I am normal by having this fear, but yeah. I'm not controlled by it. And the fear isn't me. It's something that I have control over. So that's right. That's fascinating. Okay. So, um, what is the, mon- the money nerve? So you've kind of talked about that. So do you think that everyone has a money nerve then? For sure. For sure. It, it's interesting. 
you know, we all make decisions based, we do make decisions based on emotions. Uh, my first editor was talking to me, she goes, well, you know, it's cute that you're writing this book about money and emotions, but I'm not impacted by, I don't make decisions based on emotion. And uh, she had shared a little bit with me and I said, oh, that's interesting. You're probably right. But let me ask you this. When you go out to lunch with your dad, who pays? Oh, well, he does. I'm his princess. Okay. Who goes out to lunch when you go out with, who pays when you go out to lunch with your mom? Well, I do because my dad left her and I feel so bad for her and she's just been struggling. I said, okay. And who goes, who pays for lunch when you go out with your sister? She goes, well, we're equal. We're, oh God. Okay. I get it. Right. So even in making a lunch decision as to who pays three different people, she has three different answers. And, and that's the way it is in life. Uh, do we bring our lunch to work? No, people think we're frugal. So we'll go and spend $20 for lunch, even though we can't afford it because we don't want anybody to think poorly of us. Um, we don't want to use, like there used to be, there used to be a commercial, like people using cash, we're slowing up the line. You got to just charge it, charge it, charge it, right? There's no impact when you charge it. You charge a dollar, you charge $10,000, doesn't feel any different. You take a hundred dollar bill out of my wallet, I'm crying because it's going to get broken up. And those twenties are going to go so fast. I try to keep onto that hundred dollar bill forever. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. So interesting. So yes, we all have emotion <laughs> when it comes to money. I think that was a fabulous way of answering that question. So um, how do you help people to realize that the things that they learned as a child are not working for them? And how do you help work through that? So the first thing we do is we take an inventory of history. We look at what our parents taught us, our grandparents, if we grew up in a particular religious um, culture. Mm -hmm. uh, That's or a big a, one an ethnic culture, right? Um, and we start just looking at that and we start, what did mom and dad say or not say? More importantly, what did they not say about money? What did we start observing? And so starting to get really conscious of all those things, was I the rich kid in school? Was I the poor kid? Was I on the lunch program? Uh, you know, things as simple as, you know, did my family have a, a library where there were books that to read? Or did I grow up in a house where we didn't even have a computer or internet? Uh, in this day and age, because uh, we didn't have that. Uh, but right, so like all these things come into play. And so we start looking at history and then we start looking at beliefs, catching ourselves. I, I can't afford that. Uh, I'm not capable. And then we start questioning. And then I work with people on rephrasing so that, you know, I can be scared of money and I'm working to do better instead of I want to be wealthy, but I'm not capable. Like I want to get rid of that but that negates and I want to start letting both exist. I'm scared. And I want to be better. Mm. And so we really start working on um, our, our words and being really intentional, um, right? No is a very powerful two-letter word. Uh, we often say no to ourselves instead of no to other people. We don't set strong boundaries. Mm. And so looking at that, looking at boundaries and how do we set boundaries with our kids, with, uh, in relationship with our friends, with our spouses, um, and so we start to go through all of that. Then we start to get into some of the practical, honest budgeting. You know, if you've got an addiction, if you've got to buy a purse or shoes or candy or alcohol, you got to still put it in the budget. You know, you don't have to call it that, but we have to own it. I'm not mm -hmm. judging it, but I just need to know where the money's going. If I'm going to help you save money, we, we got to be honest. And so really starting to talk about integrity and, and what are the goals we really want and what are we willing to change and adjust? Um, so I really encourage people to journal and, um, and, and speak things out loud because there is really power in connecting our brain to writing things down and there's power in speaking things out loud. Um, so I really encourage people to do that. And, and then we start to set goals and we then actually not just set a goal, but then start to figure out how do we do that? Okay, I save $5 a month. 
or I save $5 a week, whatever it might be. And we come up with a strategy that's doable in baby steps versus I want a million dollars by the end of the year. That, Not that does nothing. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So, so Bob, I don't know if you could use this, but you know, Rachel and I believe that, uh, people don't like the word budget because it's, it's, it's about what they can't have. Right. So we flipped it and we call it cash flow awareness. We want, I love it. We want to do a cash flow awareness exercise with you, which is basically a spreadsheet that shows where all your cash flow mm-hmm. is, is going. And now you're aware of it. Now you can make proactive changes yeah. to get the cash flowing in the direction that you want to get. And so we've kind of flipped that mental switch from a negative budget where it's it's about what you can't have to mm-hmm. a cash flow awareness so you can decide where you want that money to flow to the things that you want to have so and actually uh, just to I'm add on I'm, I'm never going to write a, I'm never going to write a, a book bob so you can put that in your next book <laughs> <laughs> I love it I will <laughs> you know it's really interesting that it it's in alignment with what you just shared but when somebody's starting that process, I think it can be very easy to judge yourself and you're critiquing and you're saying, oh, I shouldn't have spent the money there. Or, oh, I wish I had more to spend in this category. Or I feel guilty that I couldn't do this thing for my kids. And that's why I did this thing instead, because it costs less. Or I, you know, I'm ashamed of whatever this thing is that I'm spending my money on, whether it's I spent too much or I spent too little, whichever it's this shame that comes up again. And I always say it's really important to not be a critique or a critic, not to be the judge, but just to be the observer. You're just seeing what do I actually spend? And at that point, you're able to be really objective and, and not um, judging yourself for right or wrong. Kind of like what you were saying about the addictions. Absolutely. And I, I always say to people, listen, be really kind to yourselves because uh, mm-hmm. this is really painful stuff to look at sometimes. Uh, my biggest thing is curiosity. Find it interesting, it. right? So hold enough space to say, wow, isn't that interesting? Every time I get a bonus check, I blow every single penny and then some. Isn't that interesting that I'm never able to save money even though I set it as a goal? Isn't it interesting? Like if we can make it interesting and be really curious, wow, isn't it? Why is it that I seem to like to do this cycle? What is the negative pleasure that I get from this? Because I'm getting some kind of pleasure, right? There is, just in an accounting uh, term, there's, there's a payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a payoff and there's a cost. So the payoff may be I don't have to deal with my, um, my financial situation. The cost is I'm, I'm, I'm nipping away at my integrity or, or I'm, I'm you know, etching away at my life because I'm feeling so guilty. Um, mm. So if we can look at the negative pleasure and say, oh, the pleasure, the negative pleasure is my parents get to be proud of me, even though internally I feel terrible. Yeah, that's deep. I mean, you're definitely hitting a nerve right there. I'm <laughs> sure if anyone's listening and it's just, it's really interesting that there's all this subconscious stuff going on beneath the surface that oh, yeah. if we don't confront it, then we can ignore it. And then you're, you're right. Then the self-sabotaging can happen, but there is a reason you're either avoiding something painful or you are covering it up with something else. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's just yeah. that we're not addressing it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, and I remember um, Brene Brown um, talks about vulnerability and emotions. And I, I listened to a podcast that she did one day and she was talking about how the most emotionally intelligent people can hold multiple emotions and recognize that they have multiple feelings at the same time as opposed to saying, well, I just feel good or I feel bad, but maybe you can feel guilty 
and have the pleasure at the same time. Or maybe you um, you had said something earlier, I am afraid, but I want to do better. And holding those multiple emotions and recognizing you're not just one or the other, but we're complex human beings with a lot of complexity going on that's causing all these decisions that we make. So um, anyway, how does somebody then recognize that they have maybe risen above this and uh, embrace a mindset that really does serve them better? And how do they continue on that trajectory? Well, you know, for me, I I think it uh, requires a bit of humbleness because I don't think we ever get there. uh, To Bruce's point earlier, we don't ever get there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so once we can recognize that uh, there's always more that can be done, Um, but hey, I'm on the path. I'm, I'm, I'm not reacting to my emotions, right? I'm, I have awareness of them. And so then I can respond to my emotions instead of react. And so for me, it's really about just starting to notice, oh, this is a little bit better. Oh, this feels a little bit more comfortable. Oh, I'm not so triggered when this happens. So we can start to see the subtle um, nuances of the work. And, and, you know, all of a sudden one day you're like, oh my God, I'm at, I'm at K. I'm not at B anymore. I'm not at C anymore. Ooh, I'm not quite to Z, but uh, yeah, I'm halfway through the alphabet. This is pretty cool. Um, it doesn't, we don't, a lot of people think it happens in these big, wah, wah, you know, big moments. Uh, they don't. Most of these things happen in incremental little baby steps. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're there. Uh, but I do think, um, you know, a, a teaspoon or a cup full of, gra- of, of humbleness uh, is important. It's, it's not like, look, I've arrived and I know so much better than you. So guess what? Here, let me tell you what. No, like I, I know that I don't know. The more that I learn, the more experience, the more that I don't know. Um, and if I can come in from a place of like, I don't know, but I'm like, let's learn together um, feels a lot more welcoming for me. And it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, but it also makes everybody else hopefully have a warm welcome as we explore it together. It, you know, we're all different levels of students, but we're all students. I love that. Very refreshing. Very refreshing. So um, how can somebody find you? How can they connect with you, get your book um, and, and learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So the money nerve.com, not nerd nerve money nerve. And uh, that's got, um, the links to the podcast. It's got the book. Uh, We have an online course called Mastering the Emotions of Money um, that people can do on their own, or I do coaching with people. And uh, we've got a lot of resources there. So uh, there's all kinds of articles and information. So check it out. Feel free to reach out. We also have a every other week, Thursday night, Money and Vision, where people can join in and just we talk about where we are financially, talk about goals. We also get into just real emotional stuff uh, about what what do I need? And so it's not always just about, okay, I've got to get a boat by Thursday, right? It's more about, wow, here's what's going on for me. And and here's where I don't want to feel any of this. And here's where I don't want to look at things. And so we explore shame, all those things. It's all welcome. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you for doing the work that you do. I knew that when we first learned about you that this was really in alignment with the work that we do. And I think it's really necessary for somebody to be able to recognize that we have these feelings, we have these emotions, we have negativity about money. And I will be the first to say that I have them too. And if we don't admit that we're lying and 
And it's interesting to recognize that you have these limiting beliefs, that I have these limiting beliefs and working through those and figuring out what that means to break free from that. And there is so much freedom in being able to say that was not serving me. So that mindset doesn't need to be the one that I carry with me going forward. Absolutely. There's a lot of freedom in owning that. And there's a lot of freedom, like for myself, not knowing that I am, that I'm more than my achievements. There's mm-hmm. a, it takes the pressure off, even though there's a little voice that says, you got to do more, <laughs> right? But knowing that, um, it helps. That is awesome. Well, if you would like to get more information, go to themoneynerve.com. Um, thank you, Bob, so much for being with us today. You did not fully disclose this, but you kind of did. You were talking about hiking in Nepal, but um, I do know as well that you have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Did yep. you reach the summit? I did there, yes. Wow. <laughs> Wow. And then you went um, 17,598 feet in Nepal to Mount Everest Base Camp. Yep. That was, that was far enough for me. That was good. <laughs> that is fascinating. My goodness. I know people who have attempted that. I've watched documentaries on it and I've heard of people that do that as well. So um, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing who you are with us. I'm going to climb out of this chair today, Rachel. So there you- <laughs> I feel like I made a small step. A small, a small step. step. <laughs> yeah. Small step for mankind. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Bruce, anything you want to share as we close out? No, I think, um, you know, I really just want people to realize that it's, it really is about the journey. I know it's so cliche, but if you can, if you can focus on that, then you can take those small steps. It's like changing eating habits or cha- like changing, changing exercise habits. Uh, I have this thing that I say in front of my friends all the time, and that now they make fun of me, you know, because um, whenever we're in a group, you know, I, I'm, I'm really fast to pay for things. And uh, I, they say, oh, no, 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 don't know. And, and I got, I, I stopped being that fast because, Bob, as you can imagine, that's shameful for some people. Yeah. To get things paid for. So now I'm, I'm cognizant of their, you know, their emotions. Yeah. But, but what I say is, Hey, it's only money. I can make more of it. And I don't always believe that, but if I say it enough times, then you're going to start to believe it because, and, and the reason you'll believe it is because it is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it is true. only money and you can make more of it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And the nice thing about not being the first one to pay is now you've got a little bit more money. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. It's so, so fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you for being courageous to really uncover those deep, complex emotions around money and not only relaying your own story, but really helping people to break free from that baggage and those limiting beliefs on their own. So I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Again, go to themoneynerve.com if you want some more information on that or to get Bob's book. And remember that as you are working in your financial life, there are multiple stages of the process to help you really achieve time and money freedom. It's not just one step. It's not just one strategy. It's not just one financial product. It's not even just one meeting. It really is a building out a plan that is going to help you to do the most with your money and optimize everything so that it's it's serving you better. So if you are interested in that, you can go over to themoneyadvantage.com. You can book on our calendar with our advisor team. We'd love to be a, a part of your story as well. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. 
Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.